Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had Brian Campa on the show, an investor out of LA who invests in the Oklahoma City MSA. And, and he brought a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge to, to you guys, our listeners with, with his background in institutional real estate and then him founding a company on the multifamily side. So, so much knowledge that he brought to us. And I suggest, I suggest you all stick around for the Giordano round because he, he brings a lot of new, new pieces that you probably haven't heard yet on this show or any other show, to be honest with you. What are your thoughts, Dre? Yes, sir. Very detailed responses from Brian. We talk about the JV deal he did very thoroughly, just how he got started in real estate in general. Like I, I mentioned, he, he goes through a very in the weeds background of a story. And then for the legacy round, we go in the weeds on his first deal, the OKC. It was a JV deal, a high price per unit. He talks about the terms and what they did to model that property, and they were able to drop the expense ratio by at least 30% on that and then achieve above average pro forma return. So we discussed that as well. So very good, a good, very thorough. Both sections were just very thorough. And then he dropped some good knowledge on the Geo Donna round as well to finish it all up. So very happy with Brian. We were actually uh, excited to have Brian on the show, and Brian is a, an, an avid listener of our show and, and that was great, good to hear for Ike and I, for our listeners out there. We continue to get a lot of love and, 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 and appreciation. Uh, we're almost approaching a hundred reviews and, you know, we, we really appreciate that. We're constantly getting phone calls and messages and Brian started the show right away. And he's like, I listen to you guys every week. So he's like, I'm excited to be a guest and, and we were excited to have him. So without further ado, my listeners, we really hope that once again, it gives you all value. And if there's things that you want to hear, I can I discuss or guess you want to bring on, you know, let us know. Leave us a message on multifamilybutterslice.com. So without further ado, let's get into it. Now a word from our show sponsor. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals and select markets across the country for as little as 10% down with no cash on cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter whether you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com and let them know we sent you. Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I've got my great co-host here, Ike Eke. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode. If you're a first-time listener, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, please leave us a five-star review. But hey, 
It's 8.30 right now. This is one of our our latest shows. It's hump day Wednesday. Ike, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, doing good. And, and you know, we like you said, it's 8.30 in the evening, so we got to get our, our radio voices on here. To sort of to sort of soothe the audience, even though they can possibly listen to it in the morning or in the afternoon, but just for us, you know, just for us. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing very good. In fact, I usually don't like, you know, taking calls in in the in the afternoon or evening because you know you want to sort of use that time to to do some some deep work. But I like talking to real estate late in the night because it's a good way to finish off the day. It's one of my passions, obviously. One of the things I love to do, so I do not mind talking real estate into the wee hours. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. It feels like the end of the week, even though it's not. But I do like talking real estate into the wee hours. This is definitely the the latest show that we've ever done, and you know, but it's it's you, it's Brian. Like I'm like I was not normally a fan because this is actually holding me up from my workout. But <laughs> we're all good, so I'll go, hit the, I'll go hit the gym after this, and this will be a great show. I'll, I'll go in there on a high. You know, I, I love recording. I love putting out great content for our listeners. So why don't you introduce to, uh, today's guest? Absolutely, absolutely. Today we have Brian Campa on the show, and he is a multifamily investor who primarily invests in the Oklahoma City MSA. But he also has a background in the more institutional level of real estate investing, which is something we'll, we'll most likely delve into for today. So with that, Brian, welcome to the show and, and give our, our audience a little bit about your background, your experience and how you came to be what you are today. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on the show, Dre and I. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your show, so I'm, I'm glad to be a, a guest here. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I it's funny. I, I grew up in a pretty you know, basic household, nothing, nothing too special. Both of my parents were in education. So we didn't, you know, we didn't have a ton of money growing up. They're both teachers and coaches. And so I kind of grew up in that atmosphere. And if you know anything about teachers, there's big unions involved and, and pensions are always a topic of discussions. And there was never really anything beyond pension funds and, and how that fits into your retirement. And nothing so much about real estate, but it was, it was interesting growing up finding out that, you know, actually my parents had some, some real estate holdings that I, I had no idea about. They weren't necessarily investment. I should back up. They're more vacation homes where we'd spend time. And so it was, it, it was, that was sort of the, the bug that I got, you know, understanding like, Hey, you can own more than just your primary residence. And I thought that that was a, a pretty neat concept. So that, that was sort of the itch that I got, you know, that was a goal that I set pretty early on that I wanted to have a, another property beside a home, you know, so I'm, I'm going to fast forward here. I, that bug kind of stuck with me. And then it, you know, as I'm in college in my undergrad, I'm looking for a major, which doesn't necessarily differentiate me from any other college student, but I wanted to do something in real estate. And, and unfortunately my, my college didn't really have anything specific in real estate, but it did have something that I didn't even know about until I was introduced to it by who is now my business partner. It was a facility and property management major. There's, it's only, it's only one of 10 programs, I think, undergrad that actually have it. And to me, that was the ultimate education. We covered everything from facility operations, understanding how huge mechanical systems work from chillers and boilers to understanding ground up development, doing site analysis, and then also understanding how you how to manage properties, reading rent rolls, reading an income statement and interpreting the data and and how to operate it property. So it was a pretty all-encompassing education on real estate. 
and I wanted to pursue it. So I did pursue it. And I, I got out of got out of college, got into a pretty, you know, a decent job with as a property manager. And I got involved in all kinds of asset classes, doing commercial real estate and was was leasing those buildings that I managed. So I got to involve myself from the transaction side and understanding how leases are put together, where to negotiate. And these were properties that are mostly owned by family trusts or high net worth individuals. So at this point, it wasn't really institutional owners I was representing. Decided that I wanted to pursue some more education. So I got my MBA thinking that that was the way to go. That was my way to big success and ended up getting a job opening up an office out here for an industrial where I was the only employee in California and I managed a portfolio of 8 million square feet of real estate. They're all A-class distribution centers located here in LA where I'm I'm from here and did that for a couple of years. And then I got a very late call. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the, the night before Halloween. And 2019, it was my boss who lives in tech, who lived in Texas at the time. And he's like, and he never calls me late at night, by the way. (laughs) And and for him, from calling from Texas, it was close to midnight. He said, Hey, I just want to let you know that there's going to be an email coming, coming pretty early in the morning that, that our company is going to be bought. And most of the people probably will not be retained. So that was sort of a, well, hold on a second. Like I thought I was supposed to be doing what, what I was taught, get a good education, get a good job. You're on the fast track to success. And I was pretty salty. I was really, really upset. And uh, that was sort of the shake that I needed to wake up and say, what do I need to change in my life to change the course of my life? I can't leave it in the hands of other people. That's unacceptable. So that's when I started thinking about real estate and investing. And I said, well, maybe, you know, I hear about these podcasts and I hear about these stories of people buying homes, you know, buying duplexes and, you know, replacing some of their expenses with the cash flow that they're making from those properties. Maybe that's a way that I can sort of do that on the side and create this wealth and, and, you know, try to try to take at least take advantage of, of some of those opportunities that are out there. Right. COVID hit. And that was an even bigger reset button for me. Now I'm at home with my family, still without a job. I think it had been like five, six months. I hadn't been, uh, you know, I had a nice little payment that I got leaving the company, a little severance package, but I wasn't in a rush to get back into corporate America. <laughs> and so I decided to just work up a little courage. I'm located in LA and I decided to work up a little courage and, and try to explore investing out of state. So I got, actually got connected with a wholesaler through Instagram. Wow. Which, by the way, is, is, is an effective place to meet and, and network with with fellow investors. And we just talked over the course of a couple months. And he said, hey, I, got, you know, I think I got a deal for you. It's a three-unit property in, in Northwest Indiana. And here's the purchase price. What do you think? I said, well, just send me everything you got on it. So I looked at it and I said, okay, let's, let's do it. <laughs> Without really taking much due diligence on my own, I just sort of took his word for it on the inspection reports, on the rent rolls, on the leases, and just decided to jump in. For me, it was, it was a low risk. In my mind, it was a low risk opportunity. So there really wasn't anything I was going to lose out on necessarily. And that got me the itch. And then I started seeing like, wow, just bought a three unit property. I didn't ever, I never thought that I'd, I'd do anything like that in my life. And coincidentally, around the time I closed on that property, I got connected with my, with reconnected with my business partner, Jesse, 
who, who has an, an insurance uh, office that he manages. And I was helping my in-laws buy a home and, here in California and, and they needed a quote for insurance. So we reconnected that way. I reached out to him and he said, hey, what you ever think about like investing in something more than a three unit property? And I said, yeah, but you know, that's really only for rich people. You know, like, how do you, how can you expect us to buy something? He said, well, you know, I've been listening to the Wheelbarrow Profits podcast with Jake and Jim. You ever heard of them? I said, never heard of these people. I said, why don't you just send me some stuff? So he sent me Wheelbarrow Profits, the book, and then he sent me a couple links to their, their podcast. And I was hooked. I was, I was convinced that this wasn't a scam. It wasn't anything that was misleading. It was a pretty simple framework for success and hearing their stories of a pizza owner and a pharmaceutical rep <laughs> scaling up to the level that they did. If they, if those guys can do it, you know, anyone can, I think that that's, that's the message that they convey all the time to us. And so we decided to join together. And now we, that was in August of, excuse me, July of 2020. We took that plunge and then uh, educated ourselves on multifamily, the asset class, got mentored, paid for additional mentorship outside of Jenkins, you know, and we're able to close on one property in 2021. And now we're up to about 260 units. We have a, a 40 unit property in contract right now that would, that would take us over the 300 unit threshold and also create a property management company. Uh, we have a partner locally in Oklahoma City that um, manages those for us. And so, you know, did I think two years ago that we'd be in this position? Absolutely not. Um, but that's, uh, that's where we find ourselves nonetheless. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a great ride so far. Uh, you know, that's usually how it goes, right? Like you think, okay, maybe I can do a hundred doors in 10 years and then you do it in one. So that's just, that's sort of how these things go. But I mean, your story, it's, it's interesting in that it's conventional in almost any other career path. But at least from my experience with the operators that I know, your story is almost unconventional because you have, you know, academic knowledge behind some of the things that you do, whereas a, the vast majority of people in this industry tend to learn on the job. Um, you know, you, you had several certifications and degrees in real estate, and I can't even think of anybody off the top of my head that I know that is similar, you know, in that, in that aspect of, of background. Um, but my, my question to you um, to just start off the, the discussion is since you did have experience working for, you know, a REIT or a large real estate firm, and now obviously you have experience running your own firm, what are the similarities and differences in, in that, you know, work experience? What, what did you do there? in comparison to what you do now? And did that pre prepare you for what you do now? Or is it completely different? Yeah, you know, I, I think you certainly touched on a topic that helped me certainly get over some of my uh, limiting beliefs that I could do something like this was I felt like there were a lot of parallels to what I was doing. Um, the company that I, yeah, I should also say, by the way, that I, I currently still have a W-2. I ended up actually taking a job with, a, with another company that is a, a large private uh, developer um, whose pension, whose capital comes from a, the largest pension fund in the United States. So it, it's, it, it's a big company, but the, the model there was very different from what I was doing prior to, um, to me going into multifamily and, and the assets that, that my company buys now is, is C class. And there's a lot of repositioning going on. And so 
that parallel actually prepared me a lot for what we're doing in multifamily, uh, understanding where the value is. You know, the first question that we ask ourselves in any deal that we're looking at to take down, um, you know, for shield equity, it, where can the rents go? You know, and, and that's such a fundamental and such a basic question, but it, it really drives your business plan. If you, if you really take a step back, you can do all the physical repositioning you want, but if you can only reach X amount of your rents, you know, you, where have you, where's your return? You know, is there the law of diminishing returns comes into play somewhere and you start losing yield on all those nice improvements you just did. If you can't take the rents to a certain spot. And it's the same model that I, that we use in industrial real estate. It's, it's what submarket is it in? Is it in mid counties, LA? Is it near the ports? Those are all considered much more valuable. The rents are so much higher. And so, yeah, it, it is something that certainly uh, I think uh, helped me tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly helped me get over those limiting beliefs that I can, that I could do something like that. Like I said, Another question I have for you and you, your background is perfect to, to sort of answer this because it seems like you have, you know, quite the, um, you know, quite the resume and experience in this space. So you're, you know, an asset manager in, in your firm. And you mentioned that you also have property management experience. And so for the newer investors, maybe even up to the intermediate investors out there, can you give us a synopsis of the difference between asset management and property management? Yeah, that's such a such an important question. I think a question that um, is thrown out there a lot because it, it is misunderstood. Um, property management, um, just just you know, I, the way that I think of it is you're you're getting the calls directly from the tenants. Do you want to do that? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, then you don't want to be in property management. Um, they're in charge of the rent collections. Um, they're in charge of the, the, the service requests, uh, work orders that come through. Um, they are they're coordinating service contracts with the vendors. They're making sure the utility bills are getting paid. Um, they're making they're running the variance reports in some cases too, month to month that they're providing the asset manager to make sure that they're on par with the budget. They're in the day to day. They're the operations. And so for me, being in that position um, was actually a learning curve from for me to go from a property manager to an asset manager because I, I wanted to hear about all the details. And I quickly found out that that was a that was a quick way to spend a three hour phone call talking about you know why we had two two leaks uh, in, in, in a unit you know in one month. So not the highest and best use of your time as an asset manager to talk about those types of things. Um, and the asset management is, is really high level. I mean, what are the key performance indicators that are important to your investors that your investors will want to hear? Um, those and those could vary based on on the asset. But some things, just for example, that we use is um, you know what are the what are the the average rents per unit right now? You know, and how does that diff, How does that compare to what we were underwriting when we bought the property? How's that? What does our pro forma look ninety days out from what it looks like? right now you know where where are we where are we able to cut expenses um and, and you know so these these key performance indicators you really establish case by case but it's a high level conversation are you, how are you executing the business plan that's working with the property management team that's making sure that the vendor that the if there's a reposition physical reposition that's working with the contractor getting that organized and making sure that you're managing really in, in a lot of cases the bank accounts 
and making sure that those distributions are getting out, that, that the proper reserves are being set, that those are communicated to the property management team. Um, so a little bit in the weeds at some points, but it's mostly just understanding how you are executing on the business plan that you promised your investors. Yeah. And, and just to sort of add a little bit of, of at least, you know, the way I look at it, it's, it's almost as if the property manager, I mean, like you said, they handle the, the day to day sort of the blocking and tackling of, of real estate investment. Whereas your asset manager is more like, you know, your quarterback that's that making sure that the field is set up correctly before you, you snap the ball and making sure the play, you know, develops in a way that they expect it to and, and hopefully executing on it. So that's just, that's sort of an analogy that I tr- I try to use when I explain the difference between the two because it can get, you know, it can get cloudy for those that aren't necessarily experienced in the space. That's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah, it's a really good analogy. And now a word from our show sponsor. Let me let you in on the best kept secret when it comes to investing in single or multifamily flips. Hire an interior designer. Now stay with me. We're not talking about curtains and throw pillows here. We're talking about elevating your design, reconfiguring your floor plans, and developing functional spaces, all to maximize your ROI. Melanie Renee Designs has over 12 years of experience designing in the San Diego real estate market and is ready to help you increase your profits on flips, buy and holds, or short-term vacation rentals. Reach out to Melanie herself at melreneh at gmail.com. That's M-E-L-R-E-N-E-H at gmail.com. And make sure to tell her that we sent you. We're going to move on to the, the second part of our show, though, Brian. And that's the legacy round. So it's an open forum on your favorite acquisition that forever changed the trajectory of your business. Practical tips on how to grow a portfolio or how to build your investment network. So I, I, I think I love to push you towards uh, discussing your first deal or even a deal that just had a great impact in your investing journey. And then we can really dive into that and ask questions and really provide, um, some deep deal analysis for our listeners. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And and that's an easy one to answer. Frankly, it's, I would say it's the first multifamily one that we, that we took down. It was a 29 unit apartment complex and, uh, and and really one of the more high income, uh, median household income areas in Oklahoma city. And oddly enough, it was a marketed deal. And uh, it was really in the height of COVID that it was being marketed and, and the price per unit number, I think scared a lot of local people. Um, and we're, we're running the numbers and we're thinking like, well, hold on a second. What, you know, what's the catch here? Cause we're, we're, <laughs> we're modeling this very, very conservatively and we're coming out pretty, pretty good. Um, and yeah. So we, as a, a lot of conversations with the broker, like what's going on. And he's, and he's just like, look, this, 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 this family has owned it for 40 years and they are ready to just move on. And we ended up taking down that prop. Well, we ended up getting under contract with, with that property. And one of the sellers actually had passed away uh, in the middle of the sale, uh, one of the family members. And so we had to put it on pause for a little bit, but it gave us an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper and, into the business plan for that property. And why it's my favorite, because yes, it was the first, but it couldn't have, it could not be, could have been an easier property to take down and now to manage. That was in August of 2021. We're hitting pro forma rents that we were expecting to get in year four. Wow. And we've dropped our expense ratio to near 
30%. And it's, it is a high income producing property. We're getting ready to refinance, you know, within the year here. And, and it's going to return all of our capital back to our investors. Another reason I like it is because it's a JV deal. So there's a oh, lot of equity beautiful. we're able to put into it ourselves. And that's really the generational wealth that, that is really the reason I got into multifamily altogether. I love it. I love it. Congratulations. Congratulations. This is good. So I have a series of different, I have a ladder of questions I want to dive into. So let's, let's start at the top, Brian, and then let's kind of dig a little bit deeper, right? So the first thing, you know, we love to hear about why people invest in different markets. And a lot of people actually don't even touch OKC. You always hear a lot of like Florida and Texas and whatnot. So just let's just start there. Why did you choose the OKC market for this deal? Yeah, well, frankly, we wanted to, to invest in those other markets that you're talking about, Ray. <laughs> we quickly found out that it it was a hard, it was hard to break into. So we we really had to really evaluate uh, rather than going after you know what's the sh- the shiny object, what we thought and perceived as what makes the most sense for us. What what are we trying to create here? And for us, it was giving and providing investors an opportunity to invest in a cash flowing asset um, in a in a very stable market. So we started digging a little deeper into what that meant and what kind of metrics we looked at, and we started looking at things like, uh, you know, what what has what has seen consistent population growth. It doesn't need to be excessive population growth. What has been a market that's been consistently growing over the last 10 years? And so we nailed that. That was really the first metric we looked at. And the other one was, okay, let's ask the same question, but rent growth. Oklahoma City kept popping up on this list of four, you know, four or five metros. And so we said, well, what about Oklahoma City? And so we're like, well, isn't that, isn't that an energy market? You know, shouldn't we, shouldn't we, isn't that kind of like Las Vegas? We shouldn't we be a little weary about uh, it being too much reliant on that sector. We dug a little deeper. You won't find Chesapeake Energy, Devon Energy. You won't find any of those big energy companies on the top 10 of employers of, in Oklahoma City. Maybe the state of Oklahoma, but not Oklahoma City. It's, it's a very diverse economy. And that is what's really driving all this growth is because now it's perceived as this market that is is quite the opposite of an energy sector. It's it's a it's a leader in medical research. It's uh it's got an air force base that employs thousands and thousands of people. It next to LA where I'm from, it is considered the second most popular place to to film videos. It has the largest virtual set in the country. And so a lot of film and entertainment companies are 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 moving there and and, and setting up shop and employing people. And the list goes on and on and on. I mean, there's an area of the, of the city called the Innovation District, and that's really where the technology and, and, and the entrepreneurship is being driven to. And there's a lot of money being dumped into that area. And so it, it, we got pretty excited about it real quick. And, uh, and so it, it, and we're seeing what we believe in and that it's a market where we were able to cash flow from day one, uh, despite step ups in expenses, step ups in property taxes, whatever the case may be. Uh, if you're buying in the right area, uh, you can be very successful, which doesn't necessarily separate it from any other market. But we've spent a lot of time in Oklahoma City, many, many visits, and we've nailed down those areas that were that were very confident in achieving that and executing on that business plan. Love that. And, and you mentioned that this is a JV deal. So how did you find 
those partners, how many of it or was it was it of you all? And then how was that uh, structured, that JV deal in terms of ownership wise? Yeah, that's a great question. We have, we have four entities involved and it's, it's really, um, it's really four or five people altogether. And, um, it, it really was, Hey, here's what the equity stack is. Uh, what do you guys think? And, and people were pretty eager to invest in this property. Like the look of it. It's a, it's an old building, 1930s build, but it's a solid brick building. And, um, just the, the architecture was very unique to this area of Oklahoma city. And so it's, it's sort of like a staple piece when you see pictures of it. And so it's very attractive. It's got very nice curb appeal and it wasn't, it wasn't a hard sell. So it it was, it was three or three conversations with three very uh, eager people that wanted to put um, large sums of money down uh, as, uh, as equity positions in this. And they saw the, the reality of the business plan, the way that we're splitting up the cash flow. Um, we are really splitting it two ways. So we look at the cash flow and we say, okay, 70% of this will go to whatever your equity position is, right? So um, for example, you know, I own 10% of 10% equity into the, into the, um, the property. So that, that will go 10% of that 70% will go to me. And we've divvied up the other 30%. We've, we've sort of dubbed it a management bucket. So depending on what your responsibilities are in the partnership, that's, this is how we're going to split this up. And we, we put them into buckets. And so you're getting percentages of that 30% of the cash flow according to your responsibilities and, and how often you're involved month to month in, in, in the operation of this property. And um, so far, it's worked out very well. And everyone feels you know compensated. Um, there's obviously motivations for the people who are um, you know doing doing the work day to day involved with the property management company. And so it, it's been a good model so far. Good. And 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 digging a little bit more deeper now that we discussed, you know, the equity positions. You mentioned a few things, right? How you modeled. So I wanted to discuss how you modeled. And then how you were able to drop those expenses by 30% as well as increase your rents above pro forma. So I want to dig a little bit more into the operation mechanics of this deal. Yeah, it, it um, like I said, I, it was a very conservative underwriting. Um, I think that we modeled in year one to distribute $13,000 total to the partners total. Right. Um, we are distributing way more than that a month. Um, so it it has, we have knocked that out of the park, but I, I, let me take a step back and just say, um, we did not self-manage this right away. Um, we did not have our partner in Oklahoma city when we bought this property. So we had a third party management company come in and a very reputable, uh, national brand that had all the bells and whistles that were attractive to us as, as out of state investors. Uh, everything was online. Everything was transparent that way. But we quickly found out that, um, you know, in these mid-sized properties, you're either going to find a single family property management company trying to operate at that scale, or you're going to find someone who's operating much higher unit counts um, in, on properties, 100 plus, and are allocating their payroll. That's just going to throw your expenses through the roof. So there's there's really no one to provide that niche uh, hybrid, 
if you will, um, management service without, without there being some cons. And we found that out within the first 45 days of, of owning this property that this wasn't going to work out. We needed to figure something out. And so, um, we, we kind of write it, we wrote it out, excuse me, through the rest of the year through, through 2021 found our partner in November really of that in 2021. And we had been talking to her for a few months and, 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 uh, she actually was a broker of ours that worked with us, but had multifamily uh, management experience. And so ever since she took it over in January and we put together our own way of doing things, our own standard operating procedures, uh, we went in and we, we started billing back utilities, which wasn't being done. We were starting to lease up at the rate that we originally thought that this property should be leased up at. And, um, it just was a matter of getting the right person in there to, to sell. That's what leasing is. It's, it's, it's selling. And so it, you just got to differentiate yourself from the market and, and give them a reason to do, to do those types of things. And, and we went in and we spent $75,000 on a new parking lot and we did some, some value add stuff to get people to realize that, you know, we're just not the big, bad landlord. We're here to provide value to your living experience. And that's when we started seeing the, our rents being achieved when we had someone speaking on behalf of the ownership, truly speaking on behalf of the ownership, um, selling why they need to be living here at that amount. And uh, as far as the expenses, Dre, I, you know, it was, it's really getting creative. It's understanding, all right, well, if we can provide value by sweeping up the common hallways that's going to be more money that we could actually create and allocate uh, against other income that we're collecting. So it was really just offsetting the income that wasn't being previously realized and providing a better living experience. And that, and that, that drove down expenses because now we're seeing, you know, we're not, we're not just paying service contracts just to have service contracts. We're being a little bit more, we probably shouldn't be doing landscaping in January. So why are we paying a landscaper to come and, and, landscaping in January in Oklahoma. It gets cold there. There's freeze warnings. And so those are the types of things that we started digging into as well is, you know, what are these, why are we, why are we still paying for these things? Um, so, it, you know, it was, it was a combination of just paying a little more attention and, and truly having someone on your team that, that could speak and, and, and talk on behalf of the partnership. All right, well, we're going to move on to the last part of the show. It's the Geo Donald round, as you know, Giordano's is the number one pizza spot, in my opinion, in Chicago, known for those big, thick, meaty slices of pizza that are just a mouthful. So it's going to be a series of questions between Ike and I going back and forth, leaving our listeners fully satisfied, bellies full of knowledge. So the first one, you're on the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are your last words before you die. What will you scream out to the world and want them to remember you by? Yeah, I love that question. I, I, I think that I'm going to take a, a, a line out of one of my one of my favorite movies, and please don't judge me, but from Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance, and I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to get off that mountain, Dre, and and not die. Um, if, but, and so, but that's a motto that I I try to live by in, in this business because it can you're forced to pivot a lot. You can be as prepared. You guys know this. You can yeah. be as prepared as as you'd like to be. 
but there's always going to be some wrench that's going to be thrown in there that it's going to force you to think about something differently. It's going to force you to pivot. It doesn't mean you fail. It just means that you need to think about something a different way and solve it differently than you previously thought. Um, and you're, you're going to be successful if that's your mindset. So the, the, those, those would be my last words, Dre. I love that because, you know, there's, there's a element of levity in there, but also, you know, that, that optimism is a requirement to be successful in, in investing. So I, I like that a lot. All right. Next question. If there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew when you got started or advice you could pass on to others, what would it be? I think that you don't try to do something. Don't try to do this on your own. Um, I have four different partners that, that, that we're all involved in each other and, and what we're doing. And, and we, you know, we're, we have frequent meetings all together, but we're, we're, we're very siloed in what we do. You know, my partner, Jesse is really heavy on the acquisition side. He's the one talking to the brokers every single day, chasing deals. He's the, he's the relationship guy, you know, and and that's his background. That's what he's good at. I'm the asset management guy. Um, That's my background. And, and our partner in Oklahoma city, she's the, she's the property management one. And then, you know, we have, we have our capital raiser partner and, and, and he's good at that. And he manages all of that. And, and it, I think if you, the more that you accept that and, and just accept that you can provide value by, by focusing on one or two things rather than trying to do everything and be an expert at everything, you'll be much more successful. Okay. What are your favorite or three most critical real estate terms? Multifamily investors should know and why. Well, the first one that comes to my mind is, is loss to lease. And you can even put like a slash market rent because I, I think that that's probably one of the most misunderstood words and, and concepts in our, in our industry. Because I'm a firm believer that if you don't really truly understand what you can get for rent, if what you, what can you, what you can get for rent today and where do you think you can get, the, where, where you can get them in your pro forma, you're, you're, you are underwriting to no avail there, there you're there. You're going to have to come out with some sort of creative exit plan because your numbers are just going to be arbitrary at that point. Um, so understanding what's this property really losing out on. Um, and so that's the loss of lease. You know, I think the other one is reserves. You know, that's another word that comes to mind. I, I think too many operators, especially now in this, in this market that we're in, they're, Deals are already tight. Um, if you find yourself in a bad spot and you're not you're not cash heavy and you're, you're you know there's nothing to lean back on, you're going to be in, in a world of hurt. And um, that's a big part of our underwriting is we make sure we have enough buffer there that a doomsday event won't won't put us underwater. Um, so I, reserves is a third one, and I <laughs> the other one that comes to my mind is is replacement value. I don't know if you, you've heard this one on your show yet, but you know, having a partner who's who's very much in the weeds of insurance day to day, that's something that we talk about frequently. And now that inflation is really out of control, you better understand your insurance and and how that replacement cost is keeps going up and up and up as we're speaking. And uh, that needs to be part of your underwriting. I like it. I like it. All right, bring it on home. Education is critical in this business. What books, apps, or mastermind groups would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? You know, this might be a little unconventional, but I, I it's just, it's, I'm going to stick with real estate, of course, but it, you know, I've been listening to the, uh, 
the real estate tax smart. It used to be the real estate CPA. Um, but those guys, um, are, are, they make me think about how I should be handling how I'm doing on my active income and how I should be doing on my passive income and give me, give me incredible ideas of how I can talk and, and interface with my accountant. We do this. Let's be honest. It, it, because there's money to be made in this business. If you're not smart with what you're doing, you can, this, all this effort is for nothing. Um, so, uh, you know, I think getting educated on, on how passive, how you can offset passive losses or how you can carry passive losses and uh, what's a real estate professional status and, and how do you prepare, prepare yourself now for that? Those are all things that that's like next level um, type of education outside of, you know, how to operate a property. So that, that's one podcast uh, that I would, I would, I would point people to for sure. Well, there you have it, folks. Another great episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Brian, how can Multifamily by the Slice listeners best get in touch with you? Yeah, I think the, the best way is, is uh, you know, my phone number. I'll just give you my phone number. It's it's uh, 909-525-7263. Or you could email me. It's brian at shieldequitygroup.com. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty open book, and I'm, I'm happy to, to hop on calls and talk with people about real estate. Thank you, Brian. Ike and I truly appreciate you for making the time tonight. It was fun. Great slices of wisdom and knowledge that you drop into our listeners. Check us out, www.multifamilybytheslice.com. There's a free resource once you open up the webpage for the limited partner red flag checklist. Please leave a five-star review and pass it on to a friend or family member that you feel will benefit from the show. We just want to continue to grow the community. Thank you all for the continued guest feedback and for the reviews. We appreciate you all. We love you all. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.